there we go. So back in our study of First uh, Timothy, our guide to spiritual maturity, it feels like forever ago uh, that I spoke to you all out of First uh, Timothy chapter two. And uh, I'm really excited to, to be back back in it. Uh, right after I delivered the message uh, in in First Ch- Timothy chapter two, I shortly thereafter got on a plane and went to uh, the discipleship conference in Cartersville, Georgia. Was really edified uh, during that time as part of the Living Faith Fellowship conferences, and uh, just wanted to share with you all that uh, the fellowship is is definitely strong and is definitely um, uh, you know hitting on cylinders and and it was neat to uh to see mark trotter's wife uh widow and uh and connect with some folks there but as we get back into uh first timothy chapter chapter two and we look at verse uh verses 13 through 15 so verses 13 through 15 is where we're going to pick it up i'm going to try to move this up here um For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And so when we looked at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, specifically leading up to and including verse 12, um, we, we, I, I felt like we just ch- uh, addressed it head on, that the, the people are giving uh, the Bible a bad rap. People uh, historically, and, and a lot of times that's men uh, in power, have twisted scripture to portray a position that I don't necessarily think was biblical in, in, in squelching uh, the female involvement uh, in, in the body. Uh, but we, we I, I believe, dealt with that straight up, that when he talks about uh, the, in, in, uh, and just go ahead and look at, uh, look back a few verses, um, when he says, I'm sorry, I was on the wrong, wrong, wrong part there, let the women uh, learn in silence with all subjection. That is an opportunity for women to learn, not a restriction for women not to participate. But while we looked at that, we have to remember the context and we have to remember the balance. So we, you know, rule of Bible study is always remember the context of what you're dealing with. That is really important. If you remember, we even looked at some some scripture out of 1 Corinthians that people pull out of context when it was talking about tongues, talking about tongues, talking about tongues. Oh, and women should be silent and talking about tongues, right? Uh, you know, and, and so the, it's, it's amazing how people will tend to grab scriptures uh, that support their point out of context and that's one of the things I really appreciate, not just about Midtown and its and, and LFBI in particular, but discipleship, discipleship too, is we want to empower you to study scripture for yourself, to draw these conclusions. Let the Holy Spirit speak in and through you and challenge. If you, if you are coming to a different conclusion, let's figure out why. Let's, let's talk through that. And I bet we're going we're gonna to find a reasonable position. I bet we're going to find that it isn't actually uh, change, uh, you know, on our position as a church and as a body and as a ministry and a fellowship, but rather educating you and helping you understand in the, in the light of, uh, of, of all of Scripture. But context is really important. So re- we have to remember this this paragraph in particular was how to worship. It started talking about that and how to conduct yourself. 
and how to allow women to learn, but, in these last few verses, how not to change the authority structure. So he's, again, context is king here. This is the way we worship, but we're not going to change the authority structure. It's not going to be confusing. It's not going to be chaos. We're, gonna, we're going to worship uh, clearly, effectively, orderly. We're going to conduct ourselves. We're, women, this is the way you ought to portray yourselves. You don't need to portray yourself with the way the world would put value on you. Let's portray the way the Lord puts value on you, which, by the way, includes being active parts of the local ministry, the local church, and to allow women to learn, but not change this, again, this authority structure. So, Again, I referenced it already. Uh, the last verse was, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. And, and again, some women who are very, uh, I'll just use the word progressive, you know, in, 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 in I guess we'll use the term that is, is common today. Thank you, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, that is common today is that, that women feel less than empowered because the, uh, the because the authority structure is being preserved, and why the authority structure is the way it is. So we, we need to spend time on it. We need to do it justice here, uh, and and I think at the conclusion of it, you'll find that it's a that it is a reasonable conclusion. So it's a matter of authority, responsibility, not opportunity. Okay, responsibility, not opportunity. And so women are told not to teach from an authoritative position in the church. So this verse, specifically, I'm looking at verse 13 again. um, I'm sorry, verse 12, rather. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. So the woman is not to teach from an authoritative position. She's not setting the vision. She's not setting the direction. She's not setting any female in the church. And, and, and I hope, Lord willing, to set the argument as to why that's important. And, and it predates anybody's birth here. <laughs> so it's not our fault, right? Um, so this has to do with women not teaching from an authoritative position. Not necessarily that a woman can't teach. Okay. There's absolutely opportunities for women to teach in ministries like Midtown Baptist Temple. There's opportunities for women to share, to communicate God's truth, but it is not, and we will be unashamed in this, we are not going to allow a woman to have authority in the body. And you say, well, that sounds very sexist. Well, let me explain why. It's a protection. Much like a child might say, you won't let me hang out with my friends because I know, you, know, you as a parent, I know what's going to happen when you hang out with those friends. Christ is doing, the Lord is doing the exact same thing. He's saying, I am creating a structure as a form of protection. It's a form of guardrail to help you. But I want to live life on the outside of the guardrails. Well, there's cliffs on the outside of those guardrails. There's damage. There's risk. There's a problem on the outside of those guardrails, and we have to be very careful that we have to trust the Lord that he is creating guardrails for our best interests, all of our best interests. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul gave Timothy the authority. And we, talked, we touched on this a few weeks back with respect to authority. He, specifically in 1 Timothy 4.11, he says, These things command and teach. 
Notice the tone. The tone is about setting the position. Command and teach. Timothy had to clean up some challenges that were the uh, doctrinal attacks that were happening in the church at Ephesus. And Paul is giving him authority to teach and to set direction. But notice, by the way, that Timothy even has a head or has a lead in the Apostle Paul, right? So this is, again, this is about responsibility, not opportunity. Women are not endorsed as pastors in Scripture anywhere, okay? So, you, you know, insert whatever, uh, you know, comment or whatever uh, commentary you want here, but women pastors are not biblical, okay? It's very clear in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, specifically who is qualified to be a pastor, okay? It says... This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, jumping down to verse 5, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Clearly, the qualifications here are around being male. Now, there's other qualifications associated with it. The husband of one wife, right? So not polygamist. Now, this leads into a whole other debate around divorce and can is a husband of one wife at a time versus husband of one wife forever. I'm not that that's not the nature of this study, so we're not we're not jumping into that right at this point. If the Lord allows us to spend time as we look at that uh, as we approach um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we may. We'll, we'll see where the Lord takes that. I mean, we'll address, we'll address this passage for sure, but I don't want to focus necessarily on the husband of one wife today, but he has to be a husband. If a man desired the office of a bishop, he has to be the husband of one wife, and he, knows, he has to know how to rule his own house, because if he can't even rule his own house... How can he take care of the church of God? If he can't take care of the relatively small quantity, not importance, quantity to rule his house, how is he going to divide his attention and take care of many other people, right? If he can't do that well. As we continue in Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 5, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and look, ord- and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. So he, so Paul is specifically telling Titus, I'm giving you this authority to pass on. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, so in order to set an elder in the city, or over a church, or over a people, he needs to be the husband of one wife, and continuing in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Now, I know there's a lot of dialogue in today's society about, um, about gender roles. And we need to set gender historical gender roles aside for a moment intellectually if we can i know that's a that's a little bit of a difficult concept since we're talking about women not being in authority but setting aside the historical gender roles for just a moment and looking at how the lord built us 
looking at how, and, I, and by us, I mean as, as a people, he, he made male, he made female, they have purpose, and that purpose creates value. The problem, and we're going to see this, you know, spoiler alert, we're going to see this again in a little bit, just in, in a few minutes. The problem is when people are not comfortable or content or satisfied in the role that God has made for them, that they now want somebody else's role. Okay? And that's how Satan works. That's his fundamental problem. Okay? Again, spoiler alert, that's what we're going to be dealing with later in this, in this chapter today. The problem is not one of inequality, nor is it this concept that was popular in the segregationist movement of the South, post-Civil War and pre-Civil Rights movement of separate but equal. That's not what I'm talking about here. We are individually, male and female, created for different purposes. And we have to embrace the purpose that our Creator created us for really important. I don't get the right to be mad at God that he made me male. I don't have that right. Like, I, you know, we have this kind of ongoing joke, and it really is a joke between us, about whether it's better to be a guy or a gal. Like, it's a thing, you know, and it almost always like, so I already told you, the dog got in the trash. Well, guess what happened the next day? The dog threw up on our carpet, right? So who did most of that? Who who got the who got the plastic bags out of the Walmart bags out of the out of the bin? Well, she did, but then she handed them to me, and I scooped up the dog barf. And sure enough, there was some of the trash, right? Right. So so we didn't say it at that point, but I was thinking it. Well, this is a time I wish I was a woman, right? You know. And there are times when she's like. She's downright like, I'm like, I wish I was a guy. Or it's better to be a guy. Like, we have this thing. But in all seriousness, we have different roles. We have different responsibilities. And nowhere in Scripture are women endorsed as pastors. And again, I hope I'll communicate why in the, actually the next slide. But this is really important. This is really important. And if you have something against God because he set the order, well, he set the order the way he did and then dealt with the problems that, uh, that came about thereafter, then you're going to have to deal with God directly on this because it's an affront to scripture. We just got done, albeit a few weeks ago, talking about how scripture, the New Testament philosophy, was to allow women to learn was to allow women into ministry, was to allow women to have an active role in learning and connecting with God. Do you remember the quotes about some of the, some of the stuff that, the, that, that tradition did not allow with women? Like, this opened up the door of ministry, but Paul very, very wisely is putting a counterbalance to it. We are letting open the doors. Women should come in and learn, but they are not to usurp authority okay it's really important so so uh, I said the next slide I think it's maybe two away here so the so this reinforces an existing hierarchy that we'll see in other places in, in, in scripture so everyone with the exception of God maybe I should have said has a head okay now I learned this early on 
fairly early on in my career. I work for a really big company, okay? What's well, really big for, I think, you know, we have about 5,000 employees and many layers of management. And I, and I remember talking to the CEO of the company. The dude makes buku bucks, is responsible for a lot of jobs, responsible for, you know, a billion dollars in revenue and a lot of, a lot of responsibility. But he said to me, even I have a boss. He has a board that he's accountable to, right? So it, everybody has a head, okay? Everybody has accountability. Look, look at 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So it sets our, our pattern here. So you, I think you have a fill-in-the-blank maybe of husband and wife here. So this is really the familial structure, okay? And there's a little bit of a parallel here. I didn't include it on, the, on, on your, on your, um, on your sheet, but it's a little bit of a parallel with the church, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, the problem here is how we interpret head. So the, the females in this room, or that might be listening to me, might have gotten a little pit in their stomach because, well, I'm not going to have a man lord over me. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. The example here is that Christ is willing to give himself to the church. So the man should be willing to sacrifice to the ends of the world for the wife. That's the responsibility. It's not that I get to say at the dinner table, we're going to buy a new car, the car I want to buy. Or that we're going to do this with our money. Or we're going to do that with the way we raise our kids. Or we're going to do this in ministry. Or that. That's not the point. Because that's not how Christ works. Christ lays down his life. That's how you get the respect when you're in the head position is that you lay how many movies have there been about the good boss or the good military leader or the good that I mean one of my favorite movies is Glory I don't know if you've seen the movie Glory yep. Matthew Broderick is a great great uh, actor I mean well I, I, that was oversold he's not a great great actor he's a pretty good actor so but in the movie he doesn't I mean it was Ferris Bueller was not that I mean come on it was just okay I mean, it was a good movie, but it wasn't like an acting job for the ages, right? It was before computer animation. Right. But, but, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't like, it didn't win an Academy Award. So, but he's a solid actor, right? But the movie, in part, surrounds the fact that he is willing to connect with a black regiment, right? Which was completely unprecedented at the time, and certainly in the Civil War era, right? He was willing to connect... And what does he do? Does anybody remember at the very end of the movie, the ah, part of the movie, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, they all die. Basically, all they, they all die because it was kind of a failed attack on a fort, right? But at the end, all their bodies are being buried together. And that is what people want out of a head. They just want to be... They want to be peers. People are willing to give. Like, like I love Sam. I will follow Sam. I will respect Sam as my pastor because Sam doesn't lord over me. The, I mean, Sam is actually willing to give of himself for me. Like, that's a good pastor. 
And that's what creates a good head in the structure is that the man is willing to get to sacrifice his desire, sacrifice his wants for the betterment of his wife and his family. Like, like we've again allowed probably unsaved men twist the scripture and, and paint the picture that head is, well, you got to do what I said. Well, no, that's not, that's not how it works. It's actually, we'll touch more on this in a moment, it's actually a greater responsibility. Scripture says, to whom much is given, much is required. I actually am going to give an account, not just for my life at the judgment seat of Christ, but impart hers and impart my kids and their kids, etc. Like, she doesn't have that responsibility for me. But I ha- and Sam, I mean, you've heard him talk about his perspective at the judgment seat of Christ. It could be a long day for him and for some pastors because what did they do with what they gave to their congregation? There's a great responsibility. This isn't just because now the man gets to kick his feet back and, and serve me. No, we've allowed the world to twist that. It's the exact opposite. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, even as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be unto their own husbands in everything. And, and again, some women might say, well, subject under, I'm subject, I don't have a problem being subject unto Christ, but I have a problem being subject unto another <coughs> man, to a man who, who fails. Well, yeah, I get it. But the more that that man looks like Christ, the more it should be easy. It should be easier. And ultimately, I know we went through a, a rough season maybe and, and just in our family over the past couple of years with my job situation and our temporary relocation to Austin and, and all of that. And that was hard on her. And I, have, I, I am accountable for the impact that that had on her. Because I believe I was doing the thing that God led me to, but I am accountable for that. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. 1 Peter 3, 5. Look at this. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women, so the, the description of these women are good. The holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. But who did they trust? God. They trusted God and said, God, if you if I have a problem with my husband, I need you to jump into this. Like I need you to deal with him. I can't do it. So similarly, you have God, Christ, husband, wife, children. You might have God, Christ, pastor, congregant, or you know, member or whatever, right? And, and look, at the end of the day, I have an accountability, both a practical and a spiritual accountability for each of you. For everybody that comes in here that, that ties themselves however in whatever way, shape, or form to whole heart, I, I am accountable. The, the, the people that I have invested in historically in other classes and other teachings and the times that the Lord had me in different places, I'm accountable for that. And there have been many times, I'll be honest, I would trade shoes with anybody because I didn't want that accountability. 
with responsibility. Hey, it's not the, the, the 45, 50 minutes or whatever that I stand in this space and share with you what God shows me is a relatively small percentage of my ministry to this, to this, to this class even, let alone to this body. There's a lot of responsibility, a lot of uh, a lot of prayer, a lot of a lot of, of getting up early, and, and in some cases staying up late for you. It's a responsibility. So why? Well, we I, I alluded to this. Woman was created for the man. She was literally created to help. At so Eve was literally created to help Adam, and I even joked about it. But right when I said that Adam wanted to call the anteater the anteater and Eve came along and said let's do aardvark right like anteater's too stupid like come on Adam right so and, and, and look it is just a joke but there is no job on the face of this earth that I can do alone literally whether it's the supply from up above or the supply from my bride I literally there's not a job on the face of this earth you can do alone because that means you're doing it in the power of your own flesh. Literally, he created the example. He created in man a need from day one, not post-fall, from day one. He created in man a need for support and help. That's beautiful. That's not, that's not negative. What's negative is when man... Men, I'll actually change it. When men view their weakness and need for a woman to be by their side to help them, to lead them, or to uh, to help them as they lead the family, to help guide in some cases. I mean, there's so many things I bounce off of her and ask for her opinion on because there's perspective that God gives her that He doesn't give me. Like that is the beauty of it. He was literally setting the picture. For Christ's intimacy with the church. Christ chose to give the great commission to the church. He literally allows us the opportunity to have an impact for eternity. That's beautiful. That's not negative. So woman was created for the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Right? Insert joke here about, you know... God and Adam are talking. You know where I'm going. Some of you know where I'm going with this. They were talking. He's like, I need help naming all these animals. The best I can come up with is elephant. It doesn't, it doesn't really ring well, but okay, we're going to run with elephant. He, and, and he says, well, I can, uh, God says, I can make you this just beautiful, beautiful support that will do everything. It will take care of all of it if you just give me part of your skull. He's like, oh, I don't know about that. He's like, well, or I could give you, I can, I, you can lord over her if you just give me your heel bone. He said, well, what can I get for a rib, right? So, um, <laughs> there's more to that joke. I just want to move on. So, woman was created for man, not the other way around. So, either we trust God's creation, which, by the way, you can't say I believe in a creation and then not believe this part of creation. Like, you don't get that right. Either we're from the dust and we shouldn't have morals and we should kill people that get in our way and we should survival of the fittest, which isn't going to mean me, by the way, but I should not, 
worry about you except to the extent that you get in the way of my DNA propagating. That is not what happens in humanity. Not in certainly with those with morals and in compassion or or believers, right? You if you're going to believe in a creator, he created this way. He said that. These are the rules. Eve, notice this, was deceived and gave to Adam. And this is a really important part. <clears throat> At the risk of getting ahead of Sam here in our study of Genesis, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. <coughs> Literally, her problem was twofold. She didn't, threefold, she didn't have the information she needed to, ref, to uh, refute the attack. That's on Adam. Adam probably didn't communicate enough truth to Eve to stand in that moment. First issue. But she was deceived and took. Okay? If it stops there, we probably have a different, I don't know, paradigm. We have a different way of viewing things. But she gave to Adam, and he did eat. This was a problem. When she has already consumed, I believe, a grape. We can have a nice debate on what kind of fruit. When she <coughs> consumed, she turned to her husband and said, now you do it. And this structure that God has created with Ad, that he continued because Adam was created first then Eve is literally to protect against that very issue happening every day or every Sunday in ministries around the world he's literally protecting that because there's something in women that would have this tendency to be deceived and propagate that deception I'm not mad about it. It's just the way that it is. Notice the results of her actions. The woman, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And look at this. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. Literally, as part of the, 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 the fall, the, 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 the uh, result of the fall, he puts in Eve a desire to support, a desire to serve, a desire to, in some cases, defer. Like, you're in charge, Adam. You're in charge, husband. Like, that's not my problem. So there's been, over history, women playing into the subservient role of abdicating responsibility to their husband because of this curse <coughs> that says, um, sorry, here, and, she, and he shall, look at this, rule over thee. In sin, in the sin nature, a man is going to rule over her. A man is going to rule over a woman. But notice what, notice what Adam, Adam chooses to eat. Like literally, and I don't want to get too far afield here, but I do think there's a reason lipstick is a thing. And you say, where did that come from? There is a reason lips being drawing attention, colorful attention, I think goes back to the garden because I think Eve took a bite of this juicy grape 
<laughs> I know, I know. Just bear with me. This is not doctrine. This is just hypothesis. I, I know I don't know in my knower. I think in my thinker. <laughs> that he, she took this and she had this grape juice and she turned and on her lips and she turned to Adam and he goes, wow, you're beautiful. And he took some too. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I kind of made that up. But the point is, Adam chose. Adam chose defiance to God. He knew what he was getting himself into. She was, she was deceived and then passed it on. He knew what he was getting into. And that has its own consequences. Look, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, you listened to her and hast, thou, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee thou, that thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So literally the curse of work is on man. But notice, thou shalt, uh, that he, God addresses it straight up and says, you didn't listen to me. So this issue of a woman being deceived <coughs> is one thing, but a man is either going to speak truth and adhere to it or isn't. And that's the decision that people make when they attend churches and they decide whether they're going to be a part of it. Is this a place that speaks truth? Because of the authority structure. I think it's a beautiful protection. It's really a beautiful protection. So there's implications of the hierarchy. Again, hierarchy does not equal importance. Again, another lesson I learned early in my career was that when I got people, so I, I ended up you know, fairly early in my career having people that reported to me. And my boss at the time sat me down, literally sat me down and said, we believe in an inverted pyramid. And an inverted pyramid means normally people think of the pyramid like there's all the workers and then there's managers and more directors and you finally get up to the, the grand poobah, right? We here believe in an inper, inverted pyramid. All the workers are up here and we support them. That's how work gets done is that the people on the front line, whatever the front line looks like in your business, that gets done because they're supported, not lorded over. Right? So hierarchy does not equal importance. Notice in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 specifically, but as part of it, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Meaning, God doesn't, you don't get the opportunity to say Jesus is more to this person than this person. Like, everybody is the same. There's no respecter of persons in this place. I mean, Sam has an office, both physical and and actual or uh, spiritual office in this place, and he has a responsibility to that. Do I get an office? No. So what? And I and I really I literally mean that. This has nothing to do with the square footage that somebody has or equals importance. He would sacrifice for you. He would sacrifice for me as the pastor. There is order. For provision in hierarchy. Notice in Mark 6, Jesus is, is going to do this great miracle and he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks with order, 
by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them. And they did all eat and were filled. In order for God to do a miracle, there needed to be some structure to it. He had them sit down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. He didn't just, could he have just had a line where people swap, came, a, like a, a proverbial soup line? Sure, he could have, <coughs> but he chose to set a structure. He used his disciples to distribute the, the divided loaves and fishes. Structure's a good thing. Structure's a really good thing. Especially, especially kids, kids really need structure. And a mutual submission, this is within the context of mutual submission and hierarchy, is Ephesians 5, 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There are times I willingly <laughs> submit myself to Michelle's desires or Michelle's wants in our, in our marriage, in our relationship, in our decision-making. Like, I need, there's times I have to submit myself to you all. There might be something that, like, in a few weeks, Tom, you're leading the, the golf thing, right? Like I will absolutely, it doesn't. I don't get to like walk up to Tom and be like, "Well, I'm a fellowship leader, so I get to I get to tee off first. I don't know. I, I get to like cheat or something. Like I don't get to play that card. That doesn't even work. Sam doesn't get the right to come up and say, "Well, I I, I want it this way. I want it. Th-. Well, Tom's leading it. There's times when Tom submits himself to me. There's times I submit myself to Tom. There's to- times Tom submits himself to to Gordon." In, in the children's ministry, there's times Gordon might submit himself to, like, like we submit ourselves in, mutually. There's times when I've submitted myself to Christy and things, or, or in just different ministries, and Deb Mulder, I've submitted myself to Deb Mulder. Like, you just submit yourself to one another. It's okay to do that. And then there's functional trust, and this is, this is one of the verses that I really wanted, we're, we're getting close to being done here, but uh, Matthew 8 the centurion asked and said Lord I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof to heal my, to heal my kid right but speak the word only and my serv- or his servant rather and my servant shall be healed and then G- he says something that's pretty important for I am a man under authority having soldiers under me he's a mid-level manager I've got soldiers under me but I'm a man of authority. I am under someone else, right? He's, in the, he's a mid-level manager. And I say to this man, go and he goeth, and to another come and he cometh, and to my servant do this and he doeth it. And he's not being like mean about it. He's just saying, I tell them to do things, just like I'm a man under authority. My boss will tell me things to do. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Because he just knew that Jesus' authority was enough. He understood authority. That it was a place of protection or provision here. Structural design, if you, if you were to look at Exodus 18, and we don't really have the, the time to look at it, but Jethro counsels Moses. Moses is standing before the people. Literally, there's a line a mile long or... or some many cubits long. I don't know. I just made that up. Like there's a lot of people waiting to see Moses because they need decisions about how to judge things. And Jethro comes to them and he's like, 
why are you doing this by yourself? This is not a good thing. You know, set a hierarchy, set structure, have people that are over 50s and over 10s and over 100s. That structure will be, it will allow you to replicate yourself and, and, and look, it creates a place of, uh, of leadership development, but also it, at the end of it, he says, there will be peace. Peace will follow. So hierarchy, and I apologize, I'm running a little behind. Hierarchy should create equality, provision, a fear or respect of God, faith, and peace. Most people... And if you pick yourself up and go to some independent fundamental Baptist churches, which, which feel a lot like us in doctrine, they will have messed this up. And hierarchy creates consternation. It creates not fear of God, but fear of man. It creates jealousy. It creates envy. It creates suspicion. It doesn't create these godly qualities. Like literally, my job is to give myself the portion of the of Mitch Dobson that God's called me to give whole heart. I need to give. I mean, I can't say it's every aspect because I have a responsibility to my family, of course. But like, I give it. You all are literally more important to me than me when it comes to this. So why? And I and I touched on this before. Why does Satan? Why, why, why is it this way? Satan challenged the structure and continues to do so. He was not satisfied with his role. He, did, he was determined to be like God, to be like his superior. In Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut, thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven... I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high because I don't like the role you made for me. And I will tell you, the vast majority of gender identity issues, probably some of it is, is, is purely mental, but the vast majority of gender identity issues have to do with a challenge of who God made them to be. So Satan was not satisfied with his role, and he wanted something different. Well, so that brings us to our question. Will you be content with your role? And it isn't so that anybody, like I can lord over you, or Sam can lord over you, or anybody at your job can lord over you. Again, the best boss is the one. My brother, my brother was one of my early early bosses. I was a young man, worked, I mean, like a high schooler, worked at a theater, and he looked at me one day and he said, I will never ask you to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. Right. And that has really stuck with me. I will never ask you spiritually to do anything <laughs> I'm not willing to do myself. Right? So where does this leave us with this whole childbearing thing? Saved in childbearing? Now this is, it's not really meant to be super heavy, but the last verse says, Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. We may in fact have a whole nother message here, but it was kind of borderline and I didn't really want to take the whole time to do a whole message on it. So 
she doctrinally is referring to who? <coughs> Eve. Just got done talking about her in the previous verses, right? In the verses before. Verse 13, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she, Eve, shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and with holiness, or in charity and holiness with sobriety. So there's two levels. There's an inspirational application, which we'll talk about in a moment. But in Genesis 3, 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. She wasn't Eve until after the fall, by the way, because she was the mother of all living. So literally, she was saved because she became the mother of all living, which includes, ultimately, one Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay? Who gave himself for the sins of the world, including her first sin. She shall be redeemed or saved through childbearing. Inspirationally, this is not a promise to all godly women that they're going to live through childbearing, right? Because for millennia, hundreds of years, women have had the unfortunate situation of dying in childbearing. That is not this promise, okay? That is not what this... Saved can also mean preserved. And notice in Psalm 37 and 92, for the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. So the woman can be saved or preserved in childbearing in her generations. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. This is literally what part of what Sam was talking about this morning about generational, you know, the referring to grandkids as your kids, right? They shall be fat and flourishing. So there is an inspirational part of this that says the women, that women will be saved in childbearing. They'll be preserved. Their lineage will be preserved, right? Now, we almost always talk about, we almost always talk about, and because the Bible does, you know, speaks so, so much of it, the man's seed, the man's lineage, Right? But don't miss out, and we just don't have the time. Don't miss the lineages in the Gospels, one of which is of Mary's, Mary's lineage. And it goes back and meets back up with Joseph's lineage, okay? Different, for different reasons. Those are, that, that, that's a very doctrinal position. So literally, the, the, the point of the redemption of Eve will come through her childbearing if people continue with faith but we can also take great confidence that your seed women in childbearing will save you not save like save for eternity like save through through faith but saved in the, in the matter of, of preservation so this again brings us to our last discipleship your faithfulness will have an impact on future generations ladies it will have an impact in your children you know, some some young ladies go off the deep end when they don't have a good role model and a father, right? Some men 
will go off the deep end when they don't have a great role model in their mother. And a great mom that, that fulfills her role, not knows her place, notice the difference, a great mom that fulfills her role will be a wonderful blessing to her kids and to her grandkids. Let's pray. Lord, we do 